Welcome to Always Andersonville, the podcast. I'm Laura. The holidays in Andersonville are in full swing. We hope you all have picked up your shop local passports and are busy making your purchases and fulfilling your pledge to find it here, buy it here, keep us here. Remember to turn in your passport to the Andersonville Chamber of Commerce by January 10th. You can find us next to the Swedish American Museum at 5217 North Clark, number three. On today's special episode, we are thrilled to bring you a holiday Krampus reading by Twiddly Bits owner, Lauren Ocello. After your thoroughly frightened, stick around for an interview with Raven Theater's Cold Town Hotline writer, Eli Newell, and Raven's artistic director, Cody Estel. Cold Town Hotline, a Chicago holiday story set to 1983 Chicago, opens at Raven tomorrow night, Friday, December 6th. Also tomorrow night, be sure to come out for the first night of Late Night Andersonville from 5 to 9 p.m. We will kick off the evening with a tree lighting ceremony at 545 at the Holiday Tree just north of the U.S. Bank. After that, you can whisper your gift wishes to Santa Claus himself at the Guest House Hotel from 6 to 8 p.m. The Holiday Trolley is also running all night from 6 to 9 p.m. to carry you, your loved ones, and your gifts throughout the district for discounts and deals. And now lock your doors and guard your misbehaved children. It's time to learn about Krampus. Thank you for joining me. We will be reading that perennial classic, Krampus in the Corner. My name is Krampus, and I am always watching you. It is I that knows when you are bad, because I am already with you. Someone you trusted brought me into your home. Perhaps you foolishly did yourself. You thought that I was a mere toy. That oversight will be your downfall. I am no mere monster to be thwarted. I know what you're thinking. Santa will save me. Do you seriously think that jolly old elf can help you? (laughs) St. Nicholas can't and won't save you from me. We both have our tasks to perform. He has his work rewarding the good souls. It is my duty to punish you for the wrongs that you do. We even meet once a week over tea to discuss our work. He is quite content with what I have planned for you. You have decided yourselves over the years. The old man doesn't judge you for wrongdoing. He only sees the good in people. But I know better. I know who you truly are. I know what lurks within that heart of yours. A year's worth of sin piles up, creating a stink that violates the senses. It demands a greater punishment than a single lump of coal. I've watched you laugh at the misfortune of others. You've written nasty little comments online under an assumed name. Don't think for a moment that I didn't notice you cheating on that sports pool from work the week that you were in charge of it. No, unlike Santa Claus... I am without mercy. I will gather bundles of sticks to whip you within an inch of your worthless life. The rusty chains I will keep you down with will tear into your tender flesh. And the more you struggle, the more pain it will bring. For those that make me truly angry, my sack is waiting for you. Unlike the old man's bag, it doesn't contain toys. It will contain you. I will throw you into my burlap sack with the other damned souls I've collected for the season. Once I've finished, you will all be dragged to hell. All of this doesn't have to be your fate. 
If you're respectful and kind to others, surviving the holidays will mean more than simply putting up with your rude relatives. If you make it to the new year, you will have a better understanding of what life and kindness are all about. I will teach you that it is better to give than it is to receive. Happy Krampusnacht, everyone. Guten Nacht! I'm Laura. And I'm Heather. Today, we welcome back Raven Theater's Artistic Director, Cody Estel. Cody is joined by Coltown Hotline playwright and director, Eli Newell. Coltown Hotline, a Chicago holiday story, is a heartwarming comedy about what it means to be a family and the complex truths behind the adage, it's better to give than to receive. You can check out its world premiere at Raven Theater now through December 22nd at 6157 North Clark. Welcome, Cody and Eli. Thank you for joining us. How are you both today? Doing well. Thank you for having us. I'm great. Thrilled to be here. Uh, Eli, why don't we start by you telling us a little bit about your background and how you got your start in theater? Absolutely. So um, I am from the Twin Cities, St. Paul, Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's a really amazing theater scene, uh, kind of legendary in the the national scope. And uh, I grew up as a child actor, so I was acting all around town. I was taking long three-month breaks from school, um, and it was amazing to have theaters like the Guthrie, the Children's Theater, the Playwright Center, the Ordway right in my backyard, um, as well as many, many other smaller theaters that also produce incredible work with playwrights, um, some experimental work, a lot of great dance and music. Uh, and so part of that was just kind of getting the most amazing masterclass in theater um, from about age five to age 18. And as I entered adolescence and young adulthood, I started to take an interest in directing and in writing, uh, sort of shifted my focus from performing and more more behind the scenes or behind the table kind of, kind of jobs. Uh, and I moved to Chicago to attend Northwestern. So I lived in Evanston for four years, and then I moved to Andersonville as soon as I graduated college. Uh, and for the last six years or so, I've been working as a um, director, playwright, assistant director, and uh, assisting some playwrights as well. And it's been fabulous. And this isn't your first production with Raven, is it? You've worked with them before, or is it your first kind of playwright experience with them? It is uh, my first playwright experience with Raven. I've worked on several different productions at Raven. I've had a relationship with them for several years. I've assistant directed two plays. I've directed some readings and workshops. Um, Cody and I have worked together both at Raven and elsewhere. So uh, this is my first playwriting experience and my first directing experience of a, a full physicalized production at Raven. And how did you two get together on this latest product? Well, as Eli said, uh, he has assisted me on, I think, like four or five plays uh, at, at various different theaters. Uh, and I've also, um, while he was at Northwestern, he would invite me to see his shows that he was uh, directing and writing. Um, and he had this uh, he had this production that he wrote and directed that took place at Khan Auditorium, and it was uh, it was called Fair Game, and it was about the um, the eighteen ninety three Chicago World's Fair. Yeah, and it took it was this immersive piece of theater that like completely took over all of Khan Auditorium, and if you've been there in Evanston, it's huge. And the I just couldn't believe that he wrote it and that he had directed it and that it was this massive piece of theater. Um, and I was extremely blown away and impressed. Uh, and uh, so when 
I, about earlier in the year, I was, you know, I was thinking what one of the things that I was thinking about is how there's not a whole lot of holiday plays here in Andersonville Edgewater. And I just, you know, couldn't get out of my head that he had written and directed this other piece that, you know, had blown my mind. And so I was sort of like, I think that this is a tax, task that Eli could actually handle and handle well. Um, and so I, last around this time last year, I asked him to go and watch all like holiday plays. I was like, Raven will buy your ticket. I want you to go and watch all the holiday plays in in Chicago. And I want you to report back with what do you not see? And what do you think Edgewater Andersonville needs to see? Um, and uh, he came back with this idea. And I can let him talk a little bit more about the idea, but um, it seemed like a perfect fit. And, you know, I wanted to I wanted to find something that was right for the neighborhood uh, and to, you know, I, I keep getting this question from patrons asking me, you know, what is something that I can bring my children to? And my answer is always, well, nothing like it's, all of it's inappropriate for your children. Sorry. Um, but this play <laughs> is not. Uh, and we're saying that it's for seven and up. But I think this is an opportunity to sort of work with, you know, we, we've built such a great reputation with our summer camp in the summer. Um with those families. And I think this is another opportunity for uh, patrons to come to Raven. And, you know, if you want, you can also uh, 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 bring your family along. Well, the play is set in 1983 in Chicago. So tell us a little bit more about how the idea came about and, and also talk to talk about your experience of going around the city and seeing all these plays. Like, I'm assuming some were good, some were not so good. And and yeah, talk more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So as Cody said, I think the the mandate really for all the theater going that happened last December um, was not so much to report on or to take stock of what I did see, but to take stock of what I didn't see. Um, that's sometimes easier to pick out. And it uh, was really fascinating. I, I saw a lot of amazing plays. That We've got a lot of great holiday plays in Chicago. They are, I would say, on the whole, um, kind of heightened. There's a lot of... Uh, family fun kind of fair it's it's very kind of musical comedy feeling um so there was a little bit of homogeny that i saw which is not a bad thing i think that there are all those holiday tropes that you think about but i've always been a big history buff myself it's like totally a, an obsession of mine and specifically local history the play he was talking about fair game um that was uh, in many ways a synthesis of my interest in history my interest in theater and my interest in the audience's relationship to plays and uh i think that's where i always start i always start with the local ingredients that's what's really interesting to me so i i start with the chicago tribune usually i just comb through old issues obviously not physically now we have that wonderful thing called the internet but um <laughs> i go and look at the archives and and kind of pick out just different stories and headlines. And with this one in particular, I said, so what, what is an event that happened around the holidays that I can exploit for dramatic or comedic purposes? Um, and I, one thing that kept catching my eye was all these articles about this crisis hotline called the Yule Connection that was in operation starting in 1976 in Chicago. It ran for two weeks around the holidays. People could call in if they were suffering from what they then called the Christmas blues. Um, this is all sort of what we would call preclinical. There wasn't a whole lot of terminology for depression, anxiety, and the kinds of things that now, you know, we would talk about the importance of uh, public mental health. But, but that was a bit taboo. So uh, I just thought it was such an interesting idea. 
And the idea of a holiday play that begins with the admission that the holidays are extremely difficult for some people. Um, it felt bold, it felt strange, and it felt like it presented a really interesting challenge to actually find the imagination and the joy and the heightened reality in that, which is so rooted in in kind of something that may sound a little bit mundane on first listen or even a little heavy. Yeah, I mean, so often now you see, you know, <clears throat> since we have, you know, the internet and Facebook and Instagram, people are able to post those kinds of things like, this is going to be my first Christmas without this family member. Um, so yeah, I could see how a hotline way back when would, would, would have been the way to go. It was. And, and 1983 was a really interesting year in Chicago history for those who were, who were here in 1983 living in Chicago. Um, just on the surface, we began that year with Chicago's first female mayor, Jane Byrne. We ended that year with Chicago's first black mayor, Harold Washington. Um, that's also the midst of Reagan era politics on the national scale. Uh, and then perhaps most importantly for this play it was the coldest Christmas in Chicago history. Uh, December 24th, Christmas Eve, was something like 75 below wind chill. Mm, um, yeah. Insane, I know. It sounds like nothing to me because I'm from Minnesota, but <coughs> for everyone else, it's, it's harrowing. Um, and uh, that, as, as kind of the fulcrum of the piece, was the event that I felt most excited to investigate, was what happens at this hotline when it's the coldest day in Chicago history, mm. and what do they do when they have to have a lock-in? And he set the play on the north side. And so, you know, there are references in the play that sort of grounded in this like Edgewater Andersonville neighborhood. And um, I, I think with what's going on in Chicago at the time and that it being set here, it will, you know, I think it's an exciting opportunity for um, people in our neighborhood to come out and see this piece of, of theater that actually talks about things that were happening here in the past. And how long did it take you to, you know, from the idea, to, you know, the inception to writing the play? How, you know, what is that process like for you? Well, I think it, it differs on every process. Um, with this play, one thing that was unique about it was that it was a commission. So uh, this was Raven Theater approaching me before the idea existed and saying, you know, we want to follow this idea from conception to a physical production, which is really in many ways a luxury. Um, most playwrights and most plays that you see are written over a course of, you know, could be anywhere between a year and many, many years. Um, and no one knows if they're ever going to see the light of day. So knowing that there was an audience that was automatically going to see this play come November 30th, 2019, uh, I think that was both a really a great motivator and also a bit of a, a burden, a little bit of pressure. Um, <laughs> but in my big ideas. Yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, the first thing I actually did was I went to Colorado. Um, I was in I was in Winter Park, Colorado, in the mountains, um, which I know sounds like the most pretentious way you could start to write a play ever. <laughs> I'm a big Stephen King fan, so that's what he always did. And I yep. say, if it's good enough for Stephen, it's good enough for me. Isn't that hotel um, there? Right. Yes. yes Very close is. to there. Yes. Very close. Yeah. Have you been there? Uh, yes, I have. It's spooky. It's very spooky. It looks very much like it did. We're, I think we're talking about the Stanley Mansion. Yeah, the Stanley right? Hotel. Yeah. yeah. The Shining. The Shining. From The Shining. Yeah. And it looks pretty much exactly the, the same way it did in the movie. Yeah. I wouldn't stay. I just <clears throat> went in and looked at it, but there was no way I was going to spend the night there. Mm -mm. I, no. I wasn't staying at the Stanley Hotel, thankfully. It would be a very different play Got if it. I had then, I think. <laughs> um, but I was staying at my friend's house, actually. Um, and uh, being able to write a play about sort of isolationism and cold weather in the midst of the snowy mountains of Colorado was pretty inspiring. I'm not going to lie. Um, from that point, and that was probably about March of this year, um, we're looking at about 
five or six months before we had a draft that resembled what you will now see on stage at Raven Theater, um, which actually in the world of playwriting is not that much time. That's that's a pretty expedited process. Um, the nice thing was that Cody and the staff at Raven was so, so um, wonderfully accessible to, to me during this process that uh, we were actually able to program a full workshop of the piece over the summer with actors um, who got to weigh in and spend time with the characters, not just one day. We spent about four days. Uh, and that was a luxury that few people are given. It was a real a real pleasure to do that. And uh, out of that, I think we, we were able to make some pretty bold changes that brought about the current version. And did you have conversations with people who have a difficult time around the holidays? Was that a part of your research for this as well? It was a part of my research. And thankfully, I think everyone's having a bit of a difficult time around the holidays right now. Um, it's. It, I think we're so inundated with um, these kind of themes of, of isolationism, of concern uh, for, you know, the national climate, both metaphorical and literal. Um, and while they don't exactly resemble the things that were going on in 1983, the feeling is really similar. Um, and I've had lots of friends, young and old, talk to me about, you know, what it is to feel really lonely and to feel really cut off and disconnected, you might say, uh, around the holidays. And that was all, you know, in information that I incorporated into writing the piece. There are a lot of voices from my life in the play. And that was one of, I think, the most gratifying things was giving voice to people I admire and people that uh, inspire me. And you mentioned that it's a play that's maybe appropriate for like ages seven and up and these are some issues that you know like as adults we think about all of the time but like what it, what are some of the ways where this connects with younger people maybe not even as young as seven but just this is a wide age, age range it's just tricky because i don't i don't want to give away but there is someone who shows up in the play who i think will connect with young people got it but i don't want to give it away no that's great don't give it away. Don't. Not yeah. giving anything away. The The other thing, though, that I'll say is that I'm quite proud with this play. We didn't play the sort of general all audiences family card. That, mm -hmm. that card is never played. There are really specific things in this play that are there to resonate with adults. There are really specific things in the play that are there to resonate with adolescents. There are really specific things that are there to resonate with children. Uh, and they are not all the same thing. So you're not going to go and you're not going to get an experience that feels like it sort of panders to a suggestion of a group of people. But really, it's it's about these specific moments uh, that not everyone is meant to catch on all sides of the spectrum for audience members. And that's the kind of play that I always like to see growing up when I was a kid. I loved to be curious about things, to go see a play that maybe I didn't understand all of it. Um, it's a great conversation starter. And I also think that, uh, you know, if you are a local there are all of those those moments and those references that immediately you perk up and you remember a memory of of yourself, you know, in whether it's in that winter or, you know, they talk a lot about uh, local organizations and, and figures in the media. Um, and then for young people, it really talks about what it means to be listened to or to not be listened to by uh, the adults in your life. It's interesting that you say that because I think back to, uh, you know, as a kid, I'm from Cincinnati and, you know, we would go to Cincinnati Playhouse in the park to see um, A Christmas Carol. And recently, last season, I went to the Goodman to see A Christmas Carol. And I was like, holy crap, this is scary. I can't believe that, like, a kid, I went to see this when I was a kid. 
Um, but I don't think all of it hit me. Right. You know, I think that uh, a lot of it goes over one's head. Uh, and uh, uh, but but also there's a there's a story to be told there. And I think that uh, in a similar way, uh, uh, this is also, you know, our version of of something like that ish. I was thinking, you know, while you're talking, like, I'm going to have to go back and check old photos now from 1983 to see if I look particularly frostbitten that, that <laughs> holiday season. I can't, I can't remember, yeah. you know, I yeah. can't remember. Um, but I think it's, it's, you know, with plays and I'm, I'm a parent and I always appreciate plays that kind of, you know, age them up a bit so that we do have those kind of conversations about hard things. Like maybe for them, like the holidays aren't hard, right? They're going to, they know on, you know, for my kids on December 25th, they're going to wake up and have presents, right? But that's not the experience for, for everyone. And, and, you know, the holidays are not a joyful time for everyone. So it's true. I mean, we really take that for granted. I think the holidays, we, we are just so inundated with media and with these expectations culturally of what the holidays should be and shouldn't be to the point that when suddenly it maybe does not resemble what you think it should uh it's incredibly shattering and and that's something that can be overlooked i think that maybe we're not as sensitive as a society as we could be to the fact that these experiences these kind of hallmarks of the year uh they are a, a real privilege and uh for those who don't have them it's uh it's a tough thing yeah yeah i always you know you know heather's a parent as well but I don't know what your experience is like, but for me is like finding that balance in, you know, between like keeping that joy for them, but also like, you know, for me and like the years of bitterness around mm -hmm. holidays and like the familial strife that occurs, mm -hmm. like, how do you, how do you do that? Like, or you don't want to make them jaded at eight years old, but you do, you know, want them to have this like an appreciation for the experience. Right. Right. Yeah. I think <clears throat> overall there's so much just outside of the holidays, any time of the year, there's so much media and just inundation of messaging that comes at our kids and young people all the time that it's a constant, um, I don't know, it's, it's a conscious decision every day to try and think about like how this is appearing to a small person and like what's actually important. Um, so it's nice to have a an open door during the holidays to kind of invite everybody to think about that. Mm -hmm. And I think everybody kind of thinks about it a little bit more this time of year. So looking forward to seeing it. And yeah, and and I, th uh, I think on the flip side too, that there are so many, there's so many things that may appear to a young person that those of us who are no longer of that age, maybe don't quite grasp anymore. And also with the change in cultural landscape, these things change every day. Um, so I think the ideal holiday play can give voice both to maybe some of the tougher subjects that come up during the holidays that you want to, uh, you know, be able to discuss with a young person in your life. But they also allow to uh, the young person to have the voice to say, this is what I'm experiencing right now. And this is how it lands for me. And this is how it sits for me. And uh, maybe that didn't occur to some of the old people, uh, or the the older people who, who uh, you know, accompany that young person to the theater. Well, um, kind of moving on, do you happen to have like a favorite production that you've been a part of over the years? Either one that you've kind of acted in or directed or 
It's tough. I mean, I always go with the cliche of the one I'm working on, um, although that is not always the truth. So um, I will say this has been incredibly pleasant to work on this production, um, just both because I love Raven Theater. I love working with Cody and I, it's a wonderful cast uh, and group of designers. Uh, so it's, it's been a, a great experience working on this piece. Uh, in the past, yeah, I, I mean, I've had a few pieces I've loved. The the play about the World's Fair that he mentioned, that was uh, really a source of pride for me because it was such a, I think, such an insurmountable task uh, to take that on and actually see it through to its conclusion was really incredible. Um, and then I think back to, to my childhood, too, and, you know, being able to act in all these productions in the Twin Cities alongside some of the great regional theater actors, uh, that was a, a amazing, amazing opportunity. Um, and I think about it every day, frankly. And was this the first time you've been commissioned to? This was, write yeah, a play? this was. That's awesome. <laughs> awesome and kind of nerve wracking, yeah, right? I don't bit. know. Well, you're just like I not would, on I your own be... timetable, you know? Really, yeah. right, right? Right. I think yeah. you have to sort of myopic view and kind of continue to tunnel through. Um, the one thing that's nice is, you know, I m- my background is more in directing than it is in writing, but. There are so many areas where they cross over. Um, you know, every director is different and every writer is different. But I definitely consider myself a director who uh, is a sort of a student of of literature. On um, my love for directing comes from my love of literature, and so the being able to kind of flip the script literally there and uh, front load um, the generative process, and then on the other side of it, get to take off that hat and put on another hat is is an incredible opportunity. Um, and you catch a lot of things that you wouldn't normally catch, both as a writer and a director, because you're thinking of it through the lens of, oh, I'm going to have to put this on stage in, you know, three months. Sure, so you have to be realistic about right. what you're writing. Right. Well, and that's not, you know, it's, yes, some people do that, but that's not normal. I mean, I'm a director. I wouldn't write a play ever. <laughs> I wouldn't. That, that's a, that would be a bad idea. Um, but I think having one knowing, have, having known him for so long, and two. Um, having seen his work and having him work with me, I was like, this is absolutely the person to do this. And I have all of the confidence in the world that you can, and it's going to be amazing, and I can't wait. Cody, a question for you. Yeah. Uh, since you were last on the podcast, mm-hmm. can you speak to any updates or changes at Raven since then? It was, I think it was last February. Um, and can you talk about what we can look forward to in 2020? Yes. Um, I can tell you that what is stressing me out every day is that I have got to pick the 2020, 2021 Mm. season and it needs to be done in like 15 days. Uh, So that's sort of consuming my life. Um, But what I can tell you is that I can't tell you the season. I can tell you that. Um, But a, uh, a sneak peek maybe is that the 2020 season will open with a big revival. I'll leave it at that. Okay. Awesome. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> and how about for you, Eli, for 2020? Do you have any projects that are coming up? I do, yeah. Um, there's a couple of projects that are just kind of in the pipeline that I'm developing with writers. Um, I do like to work with other playwrights who are not myself, so that's a, a, a nice gift sometimes, being able to just say, this is my territory, I'm going to stick here, and collaborate kind of under those means. But uh, the first thing that's coming up is I'll be directing the Comedy of Errors at Chicago Shakespeare Theater this winter. Uh, So that goes up January 20th. um, And uh, we run through February and then we go on a tour actually to the Chicago Public Schools. 
Um, it's their short Shakespeare abridgment. So it's kind of a, a family-friendly 75-80-minute um, version of the Shakespeare play, which it is his shortest play, actually. So there's not that much to cut. Um, but it's really, really fun. And uh, yeah, it's like one and then go into that one six days after we close Cold Town Hotline. Okay. So we always ask our guests on the show, um, and Cody's answered this before, um, but if you could trade places with an Andersonville business for a day, you know, what place would you choose and why? I think I'd have to say deflowered. Um, wow. Okay. I'm gonna give a shout out to Joe. Okay. Um, I'm gluten intolerant myself. So, you know, you just put me behind that counter and let me eat treats all day. I'd be very happy. Do you have a deflowered favorite? <laughs> um, I'm a fan of the oatmeal cream pie, personally. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And do you want to revise your answer from last time? Uh, yes, I do want to. Um, I mean, last time I said foresighted, and I absolutely stand by foresighted. But <laughs> during the holidays, Brimfield, I I love to go in there during the holidays. And I don't know what kind of candle scent they have in there, but it, it smells so oh good. Oh my gosh! I'm I always buy whatever that that candle is, and it makes me just want to you know buy one of those blankets on the wall and like cozy up into a chair and read a book. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, for this month and this month only, I'm going to, uh, uh, move away from foresighted and go with Brimfield. Well, before we close the show, um, do you want to give like a quick elevator pitch on why people should go see race out to go see Coltown hotline? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so Coltown hotline takes place in 1983. It's about a group of volunteers who have come together to answer calls for the Yule connection, Chicago's. 12-hour crisis hotline open during the holidays. And uh, what ends up happening is it's it's a piece about connection and a piece about family and what that means. Um, and in a world where we are told time and time again that the season of you know late fall, early winter is about giving and giving and giving, sometimes maybe the most courageous thing to do is to ask for help. And uh, investigating that message uh, and that theme has been a real gift in the current um, social climate and atmosphere. Uh, And I think it's something that can be really, really therapeutic to engage with as an audience and as a family. And what um, and what night are your friends and family coming in from St. Paul, Minnesota? They'll be coming. Yeah. Opening weekend. Opening weekend. Uh, Okay. So if you want to meet Eli's family. December 8th is going to be the biggest group. Okay. Get get your tickets for that night. (laughs) Yeah. Shout out to Corey, his mother. She'll be here. Oh, she'll love that. Can't wait to have her. (laughs) Well, thank you, Cody and Eli, for joining us today. And thank you for listening to Always Andersonville, the podcast. For more information about Raven, please visit raventheater.com. Show notes on today's episode can be found at andersonville.org. Always Andersonville, the podcast, is produced by the Andersonville Chamber of Commerce. Find episodes streaming weekly on iTunes and Podbean with show notes available at andersonville.org. 